try again. How about that? Does that work? Five by five. Whoa, man. Took my headphones off there. All right, so it's Thursday night. We're listening to Kayak Fishing Radio. I'm Chip Gibson, Drew Yugger. With me, Mr. Becker, breathing heavily. Did you just run into the room? I did. I rode, I ran in. I dove into the headset, slid under the computer, and I'm, I'm here ready to go. Put me in, Coach. Turn the gain down a bit. <laughs> yeah, I'm working on it. Uh, tying a couple more knots in the cord so it keeps <laughs> so much from going through there. Check one, two. That's getting better. All right. So the music was in and the mute button was on and glad we said the audio check and all that good stuff. So there we are. And uh, it is. It's like crickets out in the uh, in the room there. Let's put the crickets back on for a second. But uh, they're not chirping tonight because I don't think they can move at uh, about 40 <laughs> degrees outside. Holy cow, man. What's the weather like down there? Well, today was actually a little bit cooler down here. It was, uh, uh, I think it was in the mid-60s, low to mid-60s uh, behind the cold front that came through. So a little bit, uh, a little bit chilly more than a little bit breezy. They were talking about uh, eight to ten foot waves out on the Gulf down here, uh, out on the Gulf beaches, possibility. So, uh, wow. you know, looking for snook off the beaches in the kayak was out for today. No way. I have heard word that the uh, the mullet are moving in a very <laughs> very interesting uh, my FWC. Right, you get you you got a Florida fishing license, so you get the little newsletters and all that. And it was like so. What am I doing wrong? The question is on the uh, little newsletter. What am I doing wrong? I just can't seem to get the mullet to take a bait. <laughs> well, first, uh, yeah, they don't yeah, eat they don't like do that. that. No, uh, you might need to take it. A, a really, really small plankton on a really, really small book. Yeah, uh, I have. 
I have heard of folks catching them on dough balls, though. Really? Yeah, like a little, you know, um, uh, panfish hook with dough ball on it, and uh, might get a little, might get one there. The only time I've ever caught one on a hook was casting a bait in there and snagging one of them. So. Yeah, I've done a few that way on a slow day. Your your audio is. Do I really sound terrible? Can't understand you. Okay, is that any better? No. All right, let me see if I can fix it. I'll be back in a minute. All right. Anyways, so yeah, um, for those of you listening podcasts, listening, uh, the uh, like we say the you Florida fishing license myfwc.com get these little email newsletter type things and it was kind of an interesting thing the, the mullet are moving you know and all that kind of stuff but if you want to catch mullet generally the uh, best methodology for mullet fishing is with a cast net so um but it was just kind of funny interesting um but mullet moving that is a good sign because that means that you know soon we'll start seeing fish moving into their spring springtime feeding and things get fun then because now they're going after other fish, bait fish and stuff, instead of digging around in the mud for crustaceans and all. So that's exciting. And hopefully the temps warm up and get all all that good stuff, right? Oh, man. Been a long week. Looking forward to uh, a weekend, but I think... We're supposed to have rain, all that, generally. Let's see what the uh, forecast looks for. Your kayak fishing forecast for the uh, for the weekend. Let's see. We like to use a site called SpaghettiModels.com, and it's a pretty, pretty detailed site. You can see uh, some different wind steering currents. they got kind of lots of prognostication maps and all that good stuff, but... Generally, right down here in the Tampa Bay area. What was that? Okay, can you can you hear me now? Yeah, you're you're still overmodulating. All right, keep working. keep working. All right, yeah, I'll keep talking. So current wind chills, well, we got them all the way down to North Carolina, 33, 35 degrees, and let's see what we're looking here for. Three-day forecast, we'll go to the four-day forecast. Uh, looks like rain throughout the general southeast. Maybe some thunder activity down central south Florida. Along the east coast, showers along the west coast, maybe scattered stuff. Looks like Panama City, the Gulf Coast, the uh, panhandle of Florida is going to get some stuff all along. And uh, Texas, central of the country looks not too bad as far as showers or rain. Uh, we got a little bit of uh, mix, freezing, precip up in uh, the Great Lakes area around uh, Kentucky and Ohio, maybe some snow. Good grief, man. It's like going to be we're talking for something that's valid through Sunday. And I mean, that's March 17th or Monday, March 17th. Holy cow. So, but anyways, um, so don't know how much of uh of a weekend it's gonna be for fishing at least in the southeast, but central uh looks not too bad 
for, you know, Sunday afternoon, maybe get out and do something. But uh, the rain is too much. We're going to see a lot of stuff. A lot of the creeks and rivers and ponds are going to be all muddy and stuff. So maybe this weekend we just uh, pull out some of our gear and start prepping it, you know, do your annual prep. I saw somebody with a post on Facebook the other day, and they were, I think it was uh, Mark Watanabe, Yak Sushi from yakangler.com. Uh, he had pulled, was working on his reels. You know, you, this is the time of the year. You're getting ready. The weather's kind of iffy. You know, prep your gear, oil the reels, put some grease in them, get them all cleaned up so that uh, you got, you're not, uh, you know, into the uh, primary of the season and you're hooked up to that trophy fish and your drag fails or uh, you've got some old line on there. That's a good interesting. How are you, Mr. Becker? Are you there yet? Mm, well, you tell good. me. One, two, three, four, five. That's not bad. Turn it down just a notch. Check one, two. That's better. Yeah. And like that was the, like the new gear at the last minute. That was still. It's. It just seems to be pushing it. You have to kind of whisper. Give us your, your soft and sexy, uh, hold on, hold on. let's see, do, oh, okay, hang on, not that one, not that one, that was not the good one, hold on, Here, here's the good one, here's the kind of voice we need for, to keep from overmodulating you. Yeah, so I don't know what the deal is between the headphones and the software that's supposed to be running and everything's supposed to sound cool. That's right, it's supposed to sound cool. Yeah, it's just overdriving right now. Hey, guest, you're in the chat room there. Go ahead and log in with any uh, social media account. It will let you uh, participate in the chat room. Otherwise, you're just at the uh, whim of anybody who wants to type anything in. Actually, right now we're kind of kind of a little thin there. I guess it would help if I would send out invites and remind people, right? Wow. But anyways, so... Um, yeah, so we like to look at the uh, SpaghettiModels.com. That's a great uh, weather page. Shows some real interesting, uh, you know, your wind forecast and all. Man, winds are just kicking it here in the ATL right now. I mean, we've had uh, 20, 30 knots of wind for the last two days now. Lots of tree damage and stuff like that going down. And uh, I think at the beginning of the show you said like 6 to 8 offshore there in Tampa. Wonderful. If you had like a surf ski, I would stay out of the water in a kayak. Definitely a small. Yeah, I got nothing on you right now, man. So. Hmm. How many? Here's a question. How long do you go before you swap out the line on your fishing reel? You use braid or mono or whatever. I think with mono, when I was using monofilament on my on my reels, I would uh, start thinking about uh, changing it out when I started getting the little curly Q line. <laughs> when you uh, drop the line off your reel and it just stays in the in the constant curl. 
Of course, the uh, compounds they use today for monofilament and stuff, the fluorocarbons and the super lines are uh, a lot limper. They maintain their elasticity better. Um, braid line, um, you start seeing it starting to lose a lot of the coating on it. Uh, you start seeing some fraying and stuff because uh, braid, unfortunately, is, is kind of hard on your guides. Your guides are hard on it. And uh, so I changed mine out when I start seeing it starting to change color. Um, but the stuff is tough. So, I mean, I've got one reel that's still got some pretty raggedy braid on it. It's been down there for probably a year. But again, like I said, you do maintenance on your stuff because you get that one big fish on there and you have a gear malfunction and you're going to be, uh, going to be using some choice words to describe the event of the day and then all you have are the stories about the one that got away not the catch photo and release back to you Mr. Becker (laughs) I still can't understand I can do that effect supposedly with this new software I can do that but it, it wasn't my intended uh, <laughs> you know, thing. So, hmm. so is this at least intelligible, or should I just give Yeah, up? yeah, I think so. I think so. I think it's all right. Okay. Just just don't yell. Yeah, it'll be all right. It just seems to be overdriving it. And it yeah, might so- not be the same way coming out on the other end. So, But anyways, how about you, man? What do you think? What's your uh, What's your guideline for... Changing out the the line on your uh, on your reel. I mean, if you're if you're a guy using braid these days, I mean, a reel full of braid is going to cost you twenty bucks, right? Yeah, it is, and so. that's that is a consideration. Um, I generally try to just look at the condition of the line. Uh, when the braid starts to fray, you know, you start seeing a little uh, the little whiskers on on it. Even when you get a little bit down into, you know, after a cast. If I'm casting into clean line, um, I'll look at the end of the line next time I bring it in and see if it's, uh, if it's whiskered up. I'll go every every other trip or every third trip, I'll cut 10 or 15 feet back on the braid and just tie in, you know, even if it's a new leader, or the next time I tie on a leader, I'll cut 10 or 15 feet back just to get into a new section that hasn't, you know, hasn't been in and out of the tip guide with the pressure of a cast or hasn't hasn't had a sharp angle on it over and over and over and over again in the same spot the way it will when you're consistently casting, you know, like throwing a top water. I know how much leader and how much braid I want out of the tip. I do it fairly consistently every time. Well, that will tends to put a lot of spraying stress and wear on that same section of braid over and over and over again. So I'll cut back. Uh, and then, you know, when I get to the point where I'm cutting back and I – I start seeing monofilament backing underneath the braid after a cast. That's a clue. Uh, but, you know, basically it's just the condition of the line. Uh, right. I try to respool. The braids just about every year in the salt water. Yeah. Because with the amount of UV and all the other, you know, salt, rinse, salt, fresh, salt, fresh, salt, fresh, with the rinse cycles and everything else, it, it does take away from the line. And the grit does get in there. And the salt crystals do get in there, and they start to cut all those little teeny tiny itty bitty fibers, and it has an effect. So, 
I have I have heard of a couple of folks that we fish with of using like a, a conditioner type uh, substance, you know, that they put on the line. Have you have you ever tried anything? Like I know you have a conditioner for like fly lines and stuff like that, but that's totally different material. I have, and I I've used um, and have consistently used for a number of years, um, like more Velmatic. I don't know if it's because I just like the guy or if uh, if it really works, but it has been to make casting more smooth. Uh, the line, the braid does seem to come off the, uh, off the spool more consistently for me when I use that, and I think it does tend to make the, the grit and stuff wash off the line more easily. Um, I haven't seen any negative effects from it, and I, I'll be honest, all the positive effects I've seen are probably pretty subjective. I haven't run any type of objective test with it. That's not true. I, I, let, me, let me go back with that. I had some uh, some line I got from a manufacturer to play with at the same time that I had gotten a new formula of um, from Blakemore to, of the Real Magic to play with. And I spooled up two identical spools from the same reel with this braid. Um, sprayed one consistently, you know, before, during, after every trip. Left the other one out. Just, you know, Fresh water rinse at the end of the day, and that was that. And after five or six trips, I did see a significant difference in the color loss on the untreated braid as opposed to the braid that I treated every time with the real magic. Right. Uh, so I assume that there's, you know, there's an abrasion effect and there's a UV effect and there's all kinds of different effects that were involved there. I didn't take it any further than that. But I did right. see... That it, that may, it maintained its color better, which to me said the line was maintaining its integrity better. Mm-hmm. So. Huh. And, and mm-hmm. what, what's your favorite color when it comes to braid? Well, I used to be a stealth guy. Uh, going back to my steelhead days and using Cortland camo uh, line to kind of try and cut down the visibility in the water. But one of the things I've noticed with low visibility lines, for me, especially throwing t- either top first in, in rough water or throwing baits in rough water or throwing soft plastics is I really like a braid that I can see against the water when I'm working my bait, mm-hmm. both for locating it for reactions and stuff like that. So I've actually shifted over, and I'm shifting over to more high-vis um, lines. There's a bunch of different colors out there depending on the manufacturers. The pink, the, uh, pink and the chartreuse ones or the high-vis yellow seem to be the most popular ones I've seen, but I... I'm becoming more of a fan of the high visibility line. Yeah. My favorite has been, um, actually, when I was a mono guy, I was always using, like, Pink Andy or, uh, like, a Strand high-vis yellow on my reels just so that I could watch the reels. You know, if I had them in a, and this was in the powerboat days, uh, putting rods and rod holders and trolling and rigs, you know, big spreads across the back, I liked being able to look back and see the lines. So I've always kind of been a high-vis guy. I tried red for a while with mono, thinking, you know, it disappears. But, you know, having dove uh, in the water, uh, once you get down below about uh, 15, 20 feet in the water, most colors are not really there. So um, unless it's just a real bright day and you're in real bright sunshine and all that and the water's penetrating real deep in there, but... um, 
you know, and I, I don't know if you, if you, if your fish, if the fish are spooky or something like that, I just tack on a little bit longer leader in the fluorocarbon now. I mean, God forbid you try to spool up a line with fluorocarbon, or a reel with fluorocarbon, but that would cost you quite a bit. But fluorocarbon leaders are, are just invisible in the water. And I mean, even the fluorocarbon now in the formulations that they've got on the stuff, it's, it's even getting thinner, you know, so a 20 pound test fluorocarbon leader now is, is not much bigger than, you know, 40 pound braid. And that's pretty tiny. I mean, 40 pound braid is probably still about a 15 pound test thickness, I think. But so I like, I like, uh, I, on my reels right now, I've got power pro white on them and, uh, seems to work okay. And I just, depending upon the, the spook quotient of the fish, I just try to put a leader on, give it give it six feet or so. I mean, if you hit them on top of the head, they're going to spook anyway. So funny how that works. Yeah. <laughs> so, anyways, I had a a nice red over the weekend that I was I sight fished and you know I had to wait to cast because he was six yards away looking right at me, and I didn't want to spook him. But as soon as he turned. I threw out in front of him, and instead of swimming the bait, he swam right into the leader. Um, needless to say, he departed at a high rate of speed. But, yeah. Um, that, to me, says that he didn't see the fluorocarbon. Right. Absolutely. So, I mean, he literally swam right into the leader on his way to the bait. So, and he felt it, too. <laughs> he definitely, yeah. Visibility and... Uh, Tackle sensation apparently are not connected with fluorocarbon. Right. So, and that's uh, that's kind of the thing, you know. I mean, that was, you know, uh, we were. I don't know. Had, had you come in when we asked when we talked to the um, DNR person down there in AFWC about where they had hidden all the fish and everything, and he said, you know, we we had all wished for good weather down there, and the water was fairly calm. And I had noticed this on a couple of casts when I saw, thought I saw fish, that those fish are so spooky down there. You cast, and before the lure hits the water, they're spooking because unless there's some chop on the water out there, the redfish are hiding. So I don't know how much uh, you could uh, throw at them without them spooking, but... Anyway, so I just thought that was interesting, you know, talking. I've seen a couple of people posting up that they're starting to work on their gear and getting it ready for the season, you know, for prime fishing season. I know folks who live in the in the Florida, Texas, you know, all that, they've been fishing all year round. But uh, those of us who are up here in the ice and snow are ready to, to break out of it, waiting for ice out so that we can uh, get out on the water. And uh, this is the time... It, when it's a rainy weekend and you don't want to get out there and play in the eight-foot breakers to uh, get your gear out, lay it out, take a look at it. Take a look at your, I mean, you know, something that I noticed too with uh, folks, you know, take a look at your plugs, you know, your spooks, your uh, um, those uh, miradines and stuff. Check out those hooks and all. I mean, I'm not a hook sharpener. But I will change hooks out, and uh, and actually, 
I've started putting single hooks on my plugs just because I've gotten really close to putting a treble hook in my leg from throwing a fish up in my lap uh, in a kayak. And um, I've been changing out my hooks to, to single hooks instead of trebles. And I don't know if it's... Uh, I haven't really noticed anything, any less of hookups, but uh, it seems a little safer when I pull a fish in the boat and throw it up in my lap in the kayak. So, uh, so do you put carp down the, on the single hooks as well or just on the trebles? Um, on the trebles, I'll crush all the barbs down. Uh, on the singles, I haven't tried that. Um, but, you know, I mean, barbless hooks, we're catching photo and releasing, so... I mean, I don't think it makes that much of a difference. I always try to keep pressure on my fish. I'm not just <laughs> not just letting them run around out there. Uh, so, yeah, I I probably would. I mean, it sure makes them a lot easier. If you if you're fishing with kids, you know, I mean, Brad and Robert are to the point now where they can get you know they can handle fish themselves and stuff unless it's something really big. But I mean, fishing with kids taking your wife out who doesn't fish much or, you know, is just getting into it, it makes life so much easier to go ahead and crush the barbs and uh, and be able to pull those things, especially if one of them gets in your leg or in your finger or something like that. It's a lot easier to extract it than having to deal with a barb. So I would highly recommend that to folks. Hmm. Absolutely. But do you... Do you, do you change out your hooks? Are you a hook sharpener or a hook replacer? Um, I, yes. Um, <laughs> I, used to be a hook, I used to be a hook sharpener until I, I found that it was easier to replace with better hooks. So I've invested in a couple of good sets of split ring pliers, and, the, and most, of the, most of the plugs I have now I've replaced, uh, replaced hooks on. Um, I've had a couple of good experiences with that, a couple of bad experiences with that, which has shifted me you know, to or from uh, different hook manufacturers for one reason or another. But uh, I've found that when I, I tried replacing, you know, going to the, uh, the live bait hook on the spooks, and uh, right. I did find a negative impact on my hookup ratio. Maybe it was just that one day. Right. Um, again, you know, the old, don't change things on game day. Shame on no. me. But... Um, you know, I haven't I haven't really gone back to it since then, um, for that reason. But I know a lot of guys who have two single hooks swinging on the bottom of their spooks. Well, that doesn't sound right, but um, they they have uh, they've got the single hooks, especially at times when there's a lot of grass on the flats and the grass is floating, and it's almost mm-hmm. impossible to work any kind of a top order with treble hooks because you know you get two twitches or two yanks on a skitter walk or whatever, and it's uh, you know it's it's chunked up. And it's useless. Yeah. So that's uh, I, I still want to go back and re-explore that, but my one uh, my one experience with it uh, didn't last long. But again, that was the day of uh, the day of the tournament where we knew there was going to be a lot of grass on the water. But, oh, let's try this. Well, now did you if 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 you're if you're looking at a plug, right? So you you're holding your your Zara Spook or you know your Twitch bait, your top water plug there, right? It's a basic cigar shape. I, I'm at a loss for the names of some of the other top water baits that folks use. The top dog, uh, but basically it's a bait that floats on the top of the water. It looks about the size of a cigar, a big fat cigar, 
some of them are rather large. You know, you can get six, seven, eight-inch long ones. You can get some tiny ones that are just about as big as your thumb. But I haven't really tried it, and and, and unfortunately, I haven't really seen a good topwater bite in quite a, quite a few months. But um, whether you hang the hooks so that the open end is kind of like, you know, uh, down, if you were, so that like the hook goes down and curves forward underneath the belly of the of the bait, or if you hang them the other way, or if you do one one way, one the other way. But I know I used to think, how does a fish bite a spook and only get hooked up on the front hook? You know, I mean, or do they come at it from the nose end, or are they hitting it in the middle? But it's kind of interesting sometimes just to see, you know, what you can do with it. But, um, yeah, the, the the single hook thing would definitely be something to try with a lot of grass, you know, if you're fishing like the lagoon or, uh, well, where we were down at AFWC, you just couldn't do top water, man. There was so much grass on the water and stuff. You just couldn't do top water. So, but uh, I don't think there was anything biting on top water anyway. So, but, uh yeah, interesting. No, no. So, um, interesting stuff, but get your gear ready, get your stuff going. Um, really uh, interesting stuff, you know, looking, I saw your post on the uh, your share or whatever from the Bull Bay Rods, 2.8 ounces? Come on, man. That is that is just sick. 2.8, and that's fully lit. It's what? That's that's guides everything. That's completed. That's a completed rod. That's not just a blank weight. That's that's the entire thing. That's just crazy. I mean, so you're just like holding your reel in your hand, right? <laughs> Pretty much. Pretty much. Yeah. Did you fish with that that model this weekend, or was that just a a, a marketing picture? I didn't fish with that model this weekend. While we were at the Tampa uh, Outdoor Show weekend before last I had the chance maybe it was two weeks ago anyway I uh, had the chance to cast that rod a bunch out in the casting pond with a with a new uh, new skip bait that's out there I think I mentioned it on the last show right and uh, that was also it was also set up with a microwave guide so I had a whole bunch of different things going on at the same time so it was kind of hard to uh, to evaluate but I, I will tell you that uh, I could see how especially on a topwater rod, for me, where, you know, you're spending a significant portion of, you know, you're throwing twitch, 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 twitch. Your arm gets tired. Your yeah. wrist gets tired. Um, you know, I've got pretty significant carpal tunnel, and that does bother me, especially I've gone to shorter rods because of that. Uh, and I think that that weight rod, you know, the equivalent of a swing weight in your paddle, uh, it might not make a big difference when you paddle three times, but when you paddle 3,000, it, it makes a difference. There's a cumulative effect, so I really think that'll uh, that'll make a big difference, especially for folks who are out there banging it all day long. Right. Yeah. And I know that uh, watching some of the more successful fishermen, fisher persons, I should say, I have two people totally in mind here when I say this, but uh, you can't catch fish if you don't have a bait in the water. I mean, oddly enough. Oddly enough. And I... I tell that constantly 
to my uh, to to the uh, to the clone there that you just can't catch a fish when your rod is in the rod holder and the bait is hanging six inches from the tip of the rod. They they just won't jump out of the water like Shamu for it. So um, so if you if you're out there working it, man, that that would definitely be a game changer. I mean that 2.8 ounces that's just crazy. I mean that's nothing. That's that's 10 percent of the weight of your reel. I think the line on your reel yep. probably weighs more than that. It does, and I've had fly rod technology that was that was that white. But wow. you were talking very, very advanced, you know, boron blanks and and you know, three weight three weight rods. This is you know a ten pound class uh, saltwater flat fishing rod. So right, uh, it, it it's an interesting addition to the game. Nice. Very cool. All right. So uh, as we talk about that, let's go ahead and let me try my new tech intro. We've been we started last week with uh, tech talk, and uh, let's uh, go into the workshop here. Folks are working. Watch out over there. Step around that. Yeah. Watch your head. All right. Nice week. Tech talk. I don't know. It was something I put together at lunchtime or whatever. But um, anyway, so tech talk. Last week we we started off with talking about batteries, power sources. Right. We we covered you know some get AGM type batteries and the standard ones that folks are using in kayaks and we talked about voltage and amps and what you need to run a run a system and and typically I think you're going to find that unless you're out there with the what's the big giant these super duper Lowrance or uh Garmin systems you know NME, NMEA set up and you're running a radar uh swing up on top of your uh uh, your your black pack crate on the back of your kayak. You, you saw my new post, I see. <laughs> but uh, you know, I I think pretty much even you know like a an elite five Lowrance is going to run pretty much a good fishing day on on a twelve volt seven to ten amp battery, uh, and that that's pretty good. All right, so um. And actually, I know folks that are running them just on. I mean, of course, we didn't have a meter or anything to check it out, but you were running your system without a transducer. It's there's not much need, and we're going to talk about Sonar 101 this week. Uh, but there's not much need for a transducer and a bottom machine. Bottom machine when you're only in uh, two feet of water, right? Right, unless you're unless you're using you know spotted-looking sonar or something like that to to explore a bank or something you can't see or whatever. But you know, when you can touch the bottom with your paddle, it's uh, kind of probably, kind of probably yeah. And but there's still some cool things, all right. So before we get into talking about sonar and bottom stuff, there's still some cool stuff. If you've got a machine that it's a dual-purpose machine and it's got a what we used to call a chart plotter. 
but now it's basically just a GPS that shows you a map. And a chart plotter used to be just the bottom machine on paper. You know, you just you could sit there and take the roll off and look at what you saw all day long. But uh, that's some old school technology there. Um, new stuff now. We're talking just like on your dashboard in your car, but you've got a GPS and built into a system with a bottom machine. And the bottom machine is sonar, right? Which is did you look up the uh, acronym S O N A R? What's that stand for? Was I was I assigned that detail? I don't know if anyone got assigned that detail. So, but anyways, that's sonar, all right? It's sound just like the dolphins use and the bats use. And uh it's at a real ultra high frequency that uh you can't hear it but uh it we call it pinging and it pings and it returns back up into the unit and it listens and it paints a picture and the digital technology that's out there now which was something that you only saw on some of the super high tech military things instead of the old radar blip with just a little dot or the old flasher did you ever have a flasher a fish flasher I did. I had a couple of them, uh, actually. I never and could figure like out how to look at those things. Times. Yeah, there are still times when I, I think a flasher setting on some of the, uh, on some of the new, the new models. There are times when I think that's a, a pretty cool idea, but you've got to understand how you, how to use it. And like you say, it's, it's definitely not. You're, you're sounding like a robot now, man. Turn it off. Turn oh, nice. off the robot mode. Yeah. <laughs> You say danger, Will Robinson, and we're going to have to leave. I um, shouldn't be sounding like anything, but okay. Yeah. You got the mic pretty close to your mouth? Pull it away a little bit. See what happens. Nope. 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 Pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, you got the little techno robot sound in the background now. But anyways, um, yeah, so the fish flasher thing, old technology... The uh, dots on a screen, beep, 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 that stuff, old technology, digital now. Even in your kayak, you got sonar, it will paint a picture. You're not just trying to interpret a sine wave on a machine now. You're actually looking at a picture of a fish or at something on the bottom. The one thing that you have to remember, though, is that as this thing is, is pinging, as, the, as, it's, as it's looking across the bottom... You can you can take a flashlight, right, and hold it up around your nose high and point it straight down at the ground. And you see how that makes that beam on the on the ground right there. Well, um, the uh, the beam, you know, if you got 20 degrees, 25 degrees, I don't know what the standards are for them right now, but I don't have, currently have a machine, but it's like a flashlight beam. It has a cone cone shape it goes out and it looks and it moves it moves with your boat it's fixed on your boat and you're moving along and typically the 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 picture that's produced on the bottom machine rolls or moves across the screen from the right side of the screen to the left side of the screen so the things that you that when you start looking if your transducer is right in the middle of your boat Basically, by the time you see something on the left side of your screen, it's 
it's at the back of your boat, right? So um, let's hear your sound now. What do you sound like now, Robbie? Yeah, I don't hear you. You could do Morse code that way. Anyway, so back to your to the machine. Mr. Becker had a uh, a nice piece of gear with him at the uh, AFWC, but because we're in such shallow water and because there was such a lot of bottom growth, a lot of grass beds and stuff, right, which would tend to attenuate or get in the way of those sounds and just block up your screen anyways, uh, you just disconnect it. You take off the transducer if you're using one of those cool new... Uh, uh, cell blocks uh, from uh, Yak Attack, or you've got some kind of rig where you can temporarily mount your machine on the rail of your boat, you can disconnect the transducer. Or in some of the newer models, you can actually go in and there's a function in the setup, and you can just turn it off. So you can turn off the sonar and just utilize the GPS function of the machine. And that's a great thing, because a lot of times, especially if you're uh, using... Uh, some some of the new machines, you can put a chip in it, right? And there's different manufacturers out there, different suppliers. Navionics, one. Uh, I think Garmin has some blue chips or what they call them. Uh, but they, they're, they're specific chips, and they're really uh, good scale. So you can see the bottom, right? So it's good topography or hydrography of the bottom, good terrain, basically, and even without a bottom machine working, you can actually find the drop-offs. You can see when your contour lines get close together, that means that, that, that it's steep, and you're looking for those little shelves and things like that. So you could just, in, in shallow areas where you're just looking to find the edge of a channel or something, if the water is such that you can't see the change in the color of the water, or you can't see in the water because it's murky, you know, like all this wind and uh, fresh water intrusion and stuff like that, uh, you, you're going to have tough visibility. So you can use your GPS to, to find. And if you're just lucky enough to have gone out and found the honey hole and stuff like that, boom, you just mark that on your GPS, go right back to it. Yeah. Um, so uh, it's not totally that you wouldn't want to, if you have a machine, not to use it, especially if it's got a GPS capability on it because uh you can usually you can find the stuff and you can fine tune it then once you start fishing. But uh, the machine itself, uh, the bottom machine sonar, like I said, you take a look at it. Generally, uh, it's it's producing a ultra high frequency sound that's uh, going down in the water just like a flashlight beam, bouncing off all the contours with the digital technology now that they've got. Some of these things are absolutely crazy. I mean, they're actually, you, you can see pictures of the tree branches and the bottom structure and stuff like that, and it'll just grow and paint across the bottom. Now, if you're just sitting in one place, then uh, as that rolls across, you're just painting the same picture of it. It's not like just stop in there. So um, some of the cool pictures that you see on uh, on the advertisements and the marketing pages and stuff, it might be a little bit different. And until you get used to setting the machine up in the right way and getting the right speed so that it comes down. So it takes a little bit of tweaking to get some of these real high-tech ones uh, tuned in. But uh, 
I would say generally I wouldn't I wouldn't mess with a bottom machine if I'm going to be in the flats, if I'm going to be in areas where, you know, if, if it's waist deep, it's probably not a good thing, except for, like Mr. Becker mentioned, uh, when we got started on it, is the side imaging is kind of interesting because it actually shoots the uh, the sonar out to the side of your boat. And what's really cool about that is, is if there's fish, if there's along a bank or maybe up under some mangroves or something like that, if the water's deep enough and you can get a good shot of it, you can actually paint the fish and stuff up along and underneath those banks. So that's a possibility for shallow water. Um, the side imaging stuff is really cool. And typically you see that in the machines and the designations they use them. You'll see SI for side imaging, uh, DI for down imaging, that kind of stuff. So pretty cool. Uh, Mr. Becker is uh, resetting and redialing in as his sound has kind of been a little wonky. Skype is letting us down here. So he's back. He's almost back. He's, I see him in the chat room. <laughs> but uh, um, what else can we say about uh, bottom machines? There he is. Let's see. He's there. All right. How do you sound now? Well, we'll give it a shot. Hey, that's pretty nice. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's a lot a complete, better. I took a complete reboot of Skype. Skype was doing weird stuff with my audio. I apologize for that. Yeah. Okay. So your turn. Talk for a bit while I wet my whistle. Yeah. Unfortunately, I'm not sure. Uh, I'm not sure what you covered, but. Um, one of the, as you said, one of the nice things about being able to turn a bottom machine on and off um, is is the ability to use it only when you need it to save your battery. Um, with a lot of the advances that are being made in in technology, um, there are as chips said, with all the digital processing and stuff, you're actually seeing pictures of what or, or interpretations of what the sonar, which stands for. Yeah, you're uh, you're really breaking up now. Hmm. <laughs> that totally just dropped you off there. Just kicked you. If you did that. But anyway, so uh let's see. Pick it up, sonar. Sonar one oh one. Um Sound propagation, navigate, communicate with, detect objects on or under the surface of the water. Um, if you're out there looking after uh, um, submarines, yeah, it's the same technology. Um, and I know that one of the more favorite ones that we see that are set up the uh, kayakers tend to grab and look at our Lowrance, all right? It's not an endorsement on any product or anything, the views of these people, blah, 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 kind of thing. But anyways, so everybody knows they got Lowrance, all right? Lowrance, Hummingbird, uh, Garmin, um, who else? Let me see. Um, high definition, all the new color stuff and all. You know, some of the stuff that uh, yeah, <laughs> that I'm looking at, if I'm looking for a machine, 
is a uh, is a screen that can be seen in sunlight. All right. You take your phone out of your pocket and you look at that screen and you can't see a daggum thing when the sun's shining on it. So uh, some of the new screens now, color tends to maybe help a little bit, um, but I don't know. You back with me, Greg? Um, maybe. All right. Uh, so Lowrance is some of the ones, fours, the Elite Fours, the Mark Fours. Color black and white. Um, they got all the different kind of flavors and stuff. And and what are you really doing with it? All right. The idea is uh, that you're using it to find structure on the bottom. That's what holds fish. Ledges, rocks, structure, artificial stuff, shipwrecks, things like that. That's what you're looking for. And uh, that that thing is 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 going to find it for you. All right. Um, one thing I was looking on on the Loran site here is to see what it has for. I mean, if you just go to the website Lorance.com, L-O-W-R-A-N-C-E, uh, just some of the pictures that you see from the fish finders. I mean, the views are just pretty incredible, and you can see the down imaging. It kind of gives you a, a picture of you know, what it looks like in the water column underneath you. And then when you look at the side imaging, it kind of gives you a line down the middle and you're looking to the left and the right side of the boat, basically, and uh, how that would look. So some of the other things and, and the, some of the issues that you have when you when you use a machine that might not be of a, multi, of a great quality and there's different types of uh, transducer, that's the little thing that, is stuck down in the water so that it can see. It's basically the eyeball for the for the bottom machine. You have a transducer, and it's wired up, and it plugs into the head unit, which is the display screen, and has the computer inside. Uh, and for these down imaging and side imaging systems, it's a pretty complex computer system that takes these sound images that come back and then turn them into an actual picture of, and a representation of what what it really is, not just a blip or a color on the screen. Um, used to in the old humming burns and some of the ones that people are still using now, you had a mode where you put in the fish mode. So whenever it saw a hit that was separated away from a hard bottom line, it would consider that a fish, which it could be pretty much anything in the water, be it a fish or a uh piece of flotsam or whatever floating around down there in the water. And actually, if you had a temperature, a, a pretty different uh, uh, a temperature gradient where the temperature, you maybe you had a cold water uh, level and then underneath the water was a little warmer or an inversion where it was warm on top and cooler on the bottom. If you had that real sharp line there in the old days in the old submarine Navy uh uh, movies, you know, in the late night uh, um, AMC movie theater, you see these old World War II ones with the Submariners, and they would look for that. The, boy, I'm at a loss now. The where the where the temperature line was, and you could hide underneath that because it would it would bounce the signal back off of that. So, anyways, I think Mr. Becker is still playing with his microphone there. Check one, two. 
Check one, two. I heard that. Yeah. Very good. Is the word you were looking for the thermocline? The thermocline. There you go. Man, I, I was waiting for you to come in and throw the thermocline at me. Sorry, man. I'm about useless tonight with this audio issue. Yeah, it just gets on your nerves after a while, doesn't it? But anyway, so the the technology that's in the in these little machines now is something that I mean, World War II submariners would have given their eye teeth for. Um, but the components transducer. We talked about the power component last week, right? The battery, the head unit, which has got inside of it the small computer that does the digital translation, basically. And it also probably contains, in, in most of the units now, they're both a combination machine of GPS, chart plotter, shows you where your boat is on the map, and uh, a bottom machine or a sonar unit, and that transducer, which is attached to the line. Now, one thing that you really don't want to do is you don't want to cut that line and shorten that line up. I know that they give you a lot of it because typically these machines are made for power boats and you're going to put that machine at the helm station and then run the line all the way to the stern typically is where they mount a transducer on a power boat but you don't want to cut that because that's like a, a coaxial cable and I'm not an electronic technician I'm not an ET but I'm pretty sure that the length of cord has to do with the frequency of the information that's coming through it so don't want to get too technical on tech talk, but am I am I am I speaking out of turn there, Mr. Becker? No, you're on the you're in the right church. Uh, you know there are a whole bunch of different pews there. That it's it's the frequency and it's also the the plotter, the way that sonar determines how far away something is from the pulse is the amount of time that it takes the sound to leave the transducer, bounce off something, and get back. Right? You know, you talked about right. that before. Well, in order to c compute that, the computer takes into account the amount of time that it takes that electrical signal to travel from the transducer to the head unit. So Even though it's change, really fast. It, even though it's really wicked fast, yeah. it still does make a difference. <clears throat> and, you know, there's all kinds of other stuff you can, you can mess up by, by changing that around and by shortening those cords. But... Uh, if you if you don't do it in just the right way, but the easiest thing to do is just wrap it around the back of the unit, like on the the cell block, or you know wrap it, tie wrap it, and stow it inside a compartment or whatever. One of the other kind of interesting things, especially when you're looking at mounting a bottom unit on a kayak, is where to mount the transducer. Um, a lot of folks are using scupper mounts. They're they're creating or buying aftermarket mounts that will allow you to slide a transducer down into the water through one of the scupper holes in your kayak to get the bottom, uh, the good bottom, uh, you know, connectivity with the water, the physical contact with the water. But the fact is that you really don't have to have that. Um, for some of the, the side-looking units and things like that, you really do have to have it down in the water. But for basic depth functionality and even for a lot of the more high-resolution imaging, you can actually mount the transducer inside your kayak. Again, it's sound. Sound travels through solids, as not as well, depending on what the solid is. And as long as you have uh, a good contact with the inside of your boat that's connected, you know, that, that touches the water, 
you can actually mount the transducer inside using some real good epoxy and stuff that's going to make sure that you don't have a lot of air bubbles or other things that would interfere with the sound wave as it travels from the transducer through the hull of your boat down to the bottom or to the fish back up and back into the transducer. But there are a lot more options now, especially with some of the scupper mounts. If you're if you're not big on, on gluing a $100 transducer into your boat and having it leave you know, when uh, when your boat does or you want to move something back and forth, the, the portable transducer mounts, uh, either in the scupper or some of the newer ones that have an arm that actually extends the track, it'll mount in the track on the edge of your boat. Uh, you can just screw the arm down in there and it'll hang your transducer over into the water on the side of the boat. A lot of different options on ways to do that now. All right. And if it's in the water, it tends to get a little bit better look. I know I my first bottom machine I put in a boat, I actually, it was just, and, and the transducers that you mount inside your boat, it's not these little torpedo-looking ones. You need to put, it, it's a puck. And, and actually, for different machines, there are different types of transducers, and different models will work with one machine. So, uh, But the one I had was an old Hummingbird, and it had a it looked like a hockey puck with a cord coming out of it that plugged into the back of the machine and then i used a uh a uh, uh what was it called rosinol resinol it's mm-hmm. like a it's it's just a real clear silicone silicone type uh some people use goop uh plumber's goop to mount it in but you put it in get that bed of of goop in there some people actually and uh would cut out a piece of pvc and shape it so that it sat right in the bottom of the thing and then fill that up with the goop, make sure all the air bubbles are out of it, and then press it down inside of that so you get this nice, clean connection to shoot through the the silicone in through the bottom of your boat and get out. And it worked, and it worked well. I mean, you know, um, I don't know why. I didn't didn't use it much because I was usually in really shallow water, and um, I'm starting to... I'm thinking I'm going to venture more offshore this year and try to do some bottom fishing so in deeper water, so I might probably be giving it a try. Nice. And, yeah, so, but uh, cool. Uh, that's about where I'm coming up to the top of the hour, and that was our tech talk for this week. We'll probably continue on with a little more discussion. Maybe we'll uh, see if we can't get one of the Lawrence boys on to come and talk to us about it because, one of the questions I have, these neat pictures that they post, you know, the the the, the marketing pictures where you see the, the boat hull and the big bait fish, you know, because you're looking at the down imaging on one, you know, they got split screen set up and all that. How hard is that to set up? I mean, I don't know if you've been in deep enough water to set yours up and how hard is it to get that kind of picture? Because the thing is, it's not just painting the picture, you're moving. Right, so it's still scrolling across the the thing. So, depending on how fast you're moving, what the speed is you have on the scroll and all that, you know, how quickly is it painting that picture? Right. Um, but uh, but they are some pretty cool pictures and some pretty cool stuff, and it's really neat technology, something that works easily in a kayak. You just have to be a little creative with your power source, and then uh, and it'll help you catch more fish. Definitely will. I mean, the bass fishermen guys prove it all the time. Crappy fishermen. Uh, winter is really a nice time in a pond to have a little bottom machine that you can find out where the fish are holding in the deep holes and stuff. Uh, it'll help you find the fish. And with these new machines, you can actually take their picture. 
So that's pretty cool. It doesn't count for catch, photo, and release because there's that catch part that you have to get. You can't just bring right. in your sonar sonar picture. Here, I, I saw this huge 44-inch snook underneath the dock. So be cool to try to try that side-looking stuff up underneath the mangrove bank and see what it looks like. So anyways, so I did have a little outro thing for the for the tech so it goes like this and now it's tech talk for Thursday night and we'll do it again next week alright that's good it's too long but I'll try making a different one so anyways top of the hour I don't know what's coming up uh, next week, we're going to have uh, Bill Howard uh, Haywood on the show. Uh, he's going to be talking about Kayak for Coop. It's a paddlefishing.com tournament. Uh, all the proceeds are going to uh, help a little boy with uh, with some uh, – uh, with uh, I don't – it's on paddlefishing.com. You go to their page, Kayak for Coop. Uh, he's got some brain cancer, and uh, all the proceeds are going to go towards helping him out there, so – uh, great cause. He'll be on talking to us about that. He'll have some more info on sponsors and stuff, but I know they've got a couple of kayaks that they're going to be giving away, uh, raffling off. And uh, so uh, we're actually going to try to come down and, and uh, participate in that and play around with that. Um, any events you know of, Greg, coming up in your area other than Kayak for Coop? No, that's the big one. That's the big one uh, that's going on. So, I know that uh, Heroes on the Water just uh, went live with their new website, and it's kind of nice. It's easy to go in and look at it, and I think we'll probably start doing a quick uh, run-through of the upcoming events there because Heroes on the Water, uh, those kind of events where they're bringing in the heroes, the guys that are uh, having some issues with PTSD or whatever and getting them out on the water, they like to do – they have some pretty – uh, detailed work that they do with the guys. So it's not just a, hey, show up here and do this. You need to make sure you do a contact on those. And uh, so we try to want to get information out early so that if you do want to participate, if you do want to help out, you can contact the coordinator for the local chapter and work with them on that. But Heroes on the Water, uh, great work doing there. Also Wounded Warriors, uh, some also some other ones, uh, Casting for Recovery, so we need to start putting together a little cheat sheet on what's upcoming on those things, so that we can get coordinators out and get people. Yeah, you know, Chip, I'm sure that uh, I'm sure that Jim Dolan wouldn't mind coming on and uh, spending a few minutes talking about what's coming up this year with Hal and the developments in the direction of the organization. Yeah, yeah, we'll get Jim on and uh, do that. And I haven't uh, heard back from uh, Captain Mark Nichols. Like to get him on and talk about some soft plastics and stuff and see what's going on there. I know, man, there's just craziness going on, all kinds of different baits and stuff rolling out and all. And it's like, really, what, what's, I mean, what's different? What's new? You know, I know uh, it's really interesting to go with Mark be, or talk to Mark because, uh, you know, he'll take one bait and he can rig it five or six different ways and make it two different things. So um, we need to have him on the show and uh, get him on a broadcast to talk, talk about his baits, and uh, he's a real interesting guy to talk to anyway. So that's about it, man. I'm going to be uh, working on gear, uh, probably do some, I don't know, uh, it's a kayak fishing show, but uh, I am pretty proud to say that Brad and our 
our skeet league. He took high junior shooter and most improved shooter for the seat for the uh, for our winter season. So we're kicking that off again in two weeks. So he'll be out. He actually did his first shooting tournament on Saturday, and he shot a 65 out of 100. But to know that you're a 15-year-old kid going out there, we got to – it's just a quick story. We showed up at the range, uh, went in, got him signed in, showed his credentials. He's a NSSA member. Said, hey, got a junior here. He's not on a squad. They shoot five-man squads, five-person squads uh, through the skeet. And uh, so they said, we got an opening first round, 9 o'clock, field two, go. We had about 10 minutes to get his gun out, get him set up, get his gear on. He walked up, and he's shooting with it. So as the shoot starts going around, it takes about 20 minutes to do a round of skeet with five people shooting. I'm looking at who's out there. Uh, the squad he's on has the current Georgia State champion, uh, has past world champion, national champion, uh, ladies <laughs> champion. <laughs> and Brad's no first time. Brad's first time shooter. He doesn't know it. He's just out there shooting. And I don't know if it was just the day, the wind, whatever. But first round, and actually no one was, no one did any practice rounds that morning. It was just kind of like show up and start shooting. And uh, so. By, I think, Station 5, most everybody had, had used their option, had already shot an option, which means you had missed one. And uh, so he was just like, all right, cool. So he went around. I think he shot a 21 his first round. <clears throat> and then uh, I think he shot a 19 his second round. And then they went into 20-gauge, and he doesn't like shooting my 20-gauge. So he didn't do too well with that. But, again, it was his first time, and – one of the champs came back, and we shot with him again uh, later on in the week, uh, earlier this week. And uh, he said, you know, we had no clue that it was your first time shooting. We just knew you were a junior, and they stuck you at the end of our squad. And so, uh, but they said it was good. You, you were out there. He didn't hold anybody up. He shot just as quickly as they did, and he shot well, and they were all fist-pumping him and stuff like that. So pretty proud of the kid he's doing great he's fishing and he's shooting and you know when they do that they're not in trouble right <laughs> outstanding so all right so i think that's about it for tonight um we didn't have a big crowd in here so there's a lot of breathing room but if you're listening to the podcast uh monday night chuck kicks it off uh, from titusville florida Redfish Chuck, and on Tuesday nights we got Jaron Wozel from uh, the great state of Texas and Yakfish in Texas. That's at nine o'clock Eastern, eight o'clock Central. And then on Wednesday night we have the Low Sodium Show with Mark Wheeler. Join us again, and we'll be here next Thursday and with tips, techniques, and tech talk. So, Greg, thank you, sir. Appreciate the. Uh forbearance tonight with the with the issues here sorry about that uh it you know it probably sounds good on the other end it's just we're here in the studio and it's bouncing off so uh we'll see no big deal we'll do it again next time thanks everybody it's kayak fishing radio i'm chip gibson a tree hugger take a kid fishing and uh practice uh catch and release we'll see you next time